Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to it. 866-997-4748. That is how you join the love fest. That is Tell Me Everything. A lot of ground to cover. Michael Cohen will be on our show this Friday. William Shatter will be returning to the show as well. And lots more surprises we're waiting to be able to announce. If you didn't get to see me on tour with Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks in D.C. or the show last weekend in Chicago, the big one will be in Los Angeles, in Beverly Hills at the Saban Theater, the one over there on Wilshire and, uh, and La Cienega. It's a great space. It's going to be a huge show. We'll all be doing sets. We'll be joined by special guests, including Congressman Adam Schiff, who is actually very funny, Rob Reiner, and more surprises to be announced. Man, we have a lot to get to tonight. Again, you know the number. If you're one of our day walkers who listen as a podcast, on the John Fugelsang podcast, or you listen, I don't know, on demand or on the app. Hello, we love to hear from you guys. You're always welcome to write to our Facebook page. We'll read your comments out loud. And if you're listening live, eh, go ahead and join the conversation. Anytime, all night long, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Thea is still away. We are very fortunate and grateful to have Claudia Forster Torres joining us. So when you call, please, gentlemen, be gentlemen, ladies, class up just for the call and treat Claudia with the respect she deserves. It's really bad enough she has to work virtually with both me and Chris. Y'all don't need to make it worse for her evening. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, let's get to it, shall we? Um, Before we even begin, uh, and I want to talk about uh, the Biden gaffe today. You know, I mean, there's so much to cover. I I was going to do a review about how, so far, Italian fascism is my least favorite reboot of the fall season. But then uh, there's this Biden gaff and chris was like should we talk about it should we should we should we talk about it a lot of people aren't talking about it and i'm like really oh then let's open with it but before we get to that right now more than 1.6 million people are without power across florida more than 10 percent of all oil production in the gulf has been shut down you've seen the footage incredible storm surges around fort myers and key west tampa bay has actually been bypassed by a lot of the damage hurricane ian has gusts of wind that have already reached 150 miles per hour about 50 percent faster than the fastest major league baseball can be it isn't quite a category five but they have seen a six foot storm surge this evening and again hurricanes with the fastest winds usually aren't the deadliest or the most costly it's about how the storm hits and how prepared people are and how great the infrastructure for rescue is 
and of course, how the rebuilding efforts will go. There's going to be a lot of hurt here. Densely populated coastal communities that attract a lot of tourists were flooded over today. My in-laws used to have a place in Sanibel Island. It's flooded. I mean, the footage is shocking. Maybe you've seen some of the footage. Uh, Naples and uh, uh, Cape Coral, just incredible flooding. More than 2,000 flights were canceled today. This is the strongest hurricane to make landfall in Florida since Michael, four years ago. 1,600 flights have already been canceled for tomorrow. And, you know, there was one video of a house in Naples getting its roof ripped off completely by just the winds. People can feel the winds as far north as Sarasota County. Ian strengthened into this extremely dangerous Category 4. It's, it's just right below Category 5. And the winds are now covering half of the state. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis warned of catastrophic flooding and life-threatening storm surge and widespread power outages. It's, it's really bad. And um, there are resources out there, uh, we, which we'll be announcing throughout the show, but there are shelters in place where you can go if you are finding yourself without a place to go in the state of Florida. Um, there are many, many resources. I'm sure if you have a phone, you already know, but if you go to floridadisaster.org, they have all the open shelters in every county in the entire state listed. So the three deadliest hurricanes in our country's history were all before 1930, before we had modern radar. And the fourth deadliest hurricane we ever had was Katrina. Now, Katrina was only a Category 3 when it hit Louisiana, but the city was not prepared. Uh, Hurricane Sandy, which, uh, ooh, I remember that one, killed 72 people 10 years ago. I had just moved some stuff into storage in New York City, in Hell's Kitchen, underground, and uh, just everything was destroyed. The death toll was nothing compared to Katrina's, which killed over 1,800 people, and the Great Galveston Hurricane of 1900. The Texas hurricane is the deadliest hurricane in our history, and they believe that one killed between 8,000 and 12,000 Americans. But Sandy, because it hit New York City, was the third most expensive hurricane in U.S. history. Now, tonight, it's scary. I mean, Joe Biden announced early on he was sending a lot of funding to Florida, but you're watching the TV news anchors in their foul weather gear. They, they can't stay up. We're seeing so much damage. It looks like they're prepared for the worst. Um, DeSantis, to his credit, has generally followed the playbook that previous Florida governors have followed, both Republican and Democrat. But you wouldn't know this was the biggest news in the world from following social media. Because earlier today, Joe Biden was giving remarks at the Hunger Conference. Now, it would be great if the Hunger Conference was something that could get headlines. And I guess Joe Biden found a way to give it headlines. Because he began saying, where's Jackie? Uh, he, was, he, he, he asked if Jackie was around. Now, when I first saw the clip, I thought, oh, he means, he means Jackie Spear, right? That's, that's what he's talking about. Congresswoman Spear is probably somewhere in the building. He's, he's looking for her. But... The, the conventional wisdom is he was talking about Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who was killed tragically in a car accident last month. So <laughs> this became the biggest news in the world. And the White House later said the Congresswoman's death had been top of his mind at some time. Um, so I want to talk about it because I heard a lot of progressive talk. People weren't going to talk about it. And that made me want to talk about it even more because really it comes down to a debate. And the debate is between if you had to choose. Would you choose the old guy who has gaffes or the corrupt, authoritarian, racist, misogynist, pussy-grabbing, lying, violent, insurrection old guy who has gaffes? 
I mean, there's a lot going on in the country and the world right now, but nothing more important to the White House press corps. Not that the last president stole nuclear secrets from another country and put them in a place where other nations could easily buy access. No, that, not not the storm. No, uh, the most important thing was to get Karine Jean-Pierre to admit the president made a gaffe by searching the crowd for a recently deceased congresswoman. If the late congresswoman was top of mind for the president and her family was expected to be here and that's what he was thinking about, what, why was he looking for her? I'm, I'm not trying to be snarky here. No, I mean, and I'm... No. What you were saying and what he said there. And again, I think people can understand. I think the American people out there who, you know, watch the briefing uh, from time to time, maybe at this moment, will understand when someone is at top of mind. Uh, and uh, and this was such an important, uh, such an important event when we're talking about hunger, when we're talking about food insecurity, when we're talking about these champions, these congressional champions who were in the room, who have worked in a bipartisan way. Uh, we know we don't talk much about bipartisan actions that we see in Congress at this time. And as he was naming folks, he she was on top of mind, and he understands and knew that she was he was going to see uh, her family on Friday. Uh, okay, that's, I think I think we I think you get the general uh, again, idea. I don't think it's right? all that unusual. Um, we can we can lower that one down. You get the general idea, right? So after that, they moved on, and they asked, "No, they didn't move on." Seriously, this is all they wanted to talk about. Can you explain where the mistake was made? Did the president was the president confused? Was something written in the teleprompter that he didn't recognize? Can you just help us understand what happened? I mean, you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. No, but you're... But, but what I, I, no, I hear you, Stephen. I'm, I'm answering the question that you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. I just answered the question. If I had said, if that had been the case, I would have stated that, right? I would clearly have stated uh, what you just laid out. Uh, what I have said is that she was on top of mine and that he is going to see her family in just two days' time on Friday to honor... Okay, so you get the idea. Uh, you know, and, and after that, after that, they put the matter to rest because you could kind of tell what was going on and it got weird in the room and no one wanted it to be weird. So they moved on to talk. No, actually, they didn't move on. This became a thing and it even got a little tense. I think we all totally get why she's top of mind. You've made that case pretty effectively. Um, well, thank but you. I think the confusing part is why, if she and the family is top of mind, does the president think that she's living and in the room? I don't find that confusing. I mean, I think many people can speak to sometimes when you have someone top of mind, they're a top of mind, exactly that. And it is also, if you put it into the context, it's not like it happened outside of context, right? It happened at an event. Uh, where we were calling out the champions, uh, congressional <laughs> champions in particular of this. Okay, uh, we issue, get it. You're not going to say anything. We'll move uh, on. When now. it comes to food insecurity, something that this administration has led on, led uh, on uh, from the beginning of this administration, not just across the country, but, uh, but also globally. You heard him talk about food insecurity last week at the UN and uh, the investments that we have put forward uh, as as the U as as the United States of America in helping and helping deal with that. Look, mm. he was at an event, you all saw, you all watched, which is why you're asking the question, right, where he was calling out, again, uh, congressional leaders, uh, a bipartisan uh, leadership that we have seen on this particular issue. Can I tell you, Chris, and, uh, again, with respect to Karine Jean-Pierre, see her family in just two days. And uh, she was on top of she's still, I mean, yeah, she's still is, doing it. <laughs> I mean, that is, uh, that I is love not her. She's an great, unusual, uh, unusual scenario there. Karine, I have John Lennon okay. top of mind just about every day, but I'm not looking around for him anyway. 
when you sign a bill for John Lennon, Lennon has president, then we can have this conversation. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so anyway, you get the idea. That that's 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 it. So so like, I I didn't understand why he they just didn't say oh he thought Jackie Spear was there. The boom, you could have just had it go away. But Biden has not done that. Um, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. And it's a mistake of age. Look, here's the deal. With this show, I, I have to make a promise that we're not going to bullshit about stuff. Um, but we're not also going to feed a right-wing narrative at the same time. So I've had no problem saying Joe Biden's old. He's our oldest president. The guy he beat was previously the oldest president in history. Joe Biden's old. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Any more than being young is necessarily a bad thing. I don't mind that he's old. Full disclosure, Joe Biden was not my first choice to be president. I'm not a registered Democrat. I've never belonged to any party. I generally vote for Democrats because the right wing forces me to. I have supported third party presidents in the past, uh, but only because I was voting in a safe blue state. I would never vote third party in a state where a Democrat could lose. So that's kind of how I've been. Haven't been a Democrat, but I root for them. Golly, boy, howdy, do I root so hard. Biden wasn't my second choice or my third choice of that large Democratic field in 2020, but I always knew he'd be the nominee. I predicted it on this show in February of 2017. I predicted Kamala Harris would be his running mate on this show in February of 2017. And he's old. But here's the deal. Just because he's old and makes mistakes doesn't mean that he's senile and inept and not fit for office. Listen to any Biden interview especially about a subject like climate change. My God, listen to him talk about the science. Yeah, he's old, but he's engaged and he's smart and he has more energy than a lot of the 40-year-olds I know. Listen to this. This is a recent interview. Did Biden over the weekend on 60 Minutes? And you can tell he's old, okay? No, we're not saying he's not old. But listen to this talking about the big railroad strike, which would have been catastrophic for our entire economy that Biden's White House helped resolve last week. Mr. President, you have just averted a nationwide railroad strike that would have been crippling to the economy. How did you do that? And what were those last hours like in the negotiations? Well, look, we brought business and labor together. One of the things that happens in negotiations, particularly if they've been elongated like these have, is people say and do things where they their pride gets engaged as well. And it's awful hard to back off of some of these things. So what we did was just say, look, let's take a look. Let's take a look at what's happening. You have a good deal being made for labor. Their, their, their income is going to go up 24% over the next five years. They've worked out the, the health care piece. They worked out days off. They both sat down, in my view, and they were in the office today saying, well, we finally figured out this is fair on both sides. And it took that time to focus. And, and the alternative was just not thinkable. What do you mean? If, in fact, they had gone on strike, the supply chains in this country would have come to a screeching halt. We would have seen a real economic crisis. Right. Old. Out of it? Disassociated? Feeble? No. But I'll, I'll agree that, it, yeah, he's old. You're going to have gaffes. It's going to happen. There'll be more of this. But here's the deal. What I like about Joe Biden, what I like about this version of Joe Biden more than all the Joe Bidens I've grown up watching on my TV. I like that old Joe Biden has policies that are much younger than he is. 
I like that over the years, this guy that I watched as a kid with the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, that he's become more sensitive over the years to women's rights and abortion rights, that he's opened his mind and his heart to LGBT rights, that he's understood trans identity, that he's looked out for marginalized people, that he was liberal enough that the first black president asked him to be his running mate. He's an old guy who didn't become more conservative. He became more open hearted and open minded. Donald Trump's an old guy who has not evolved one jot since the 1970s. But yeah, Biden's old. Yeah, he's going to have gas. He, he forgot a congresswoman was dead. And that's okay. I forget Chuck Grassley is still alive. He's still younger than Paul McCartney, Bernie Sanders, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan, but he's 80. Here's the thing. Being 80 means he's still younger than the 94-year-old Herbert Hoover economics that the Republican Party's going to run for president in 2024. Because let's be honest, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Tucker or Mike Pence or Nikki Haley, or even if it's Liz Cheney, whoever the Republican nominee is, they're going to be running on 94-year-old Herbert Hoover economics. It's going to be trickle down all the way. Someone who thinks the market will take care of everything. Someone who says that helping those who are struggling is only going to make them lazy. Someone who's going to make the rich happy because they believe they'll create so much jobs and all that prosperity will trickle down to all of you in a rising tide, lift us all boats and ignore the fact it hasn't worked the last few times we've done it. The problem is most of the jobs these job creators create are in Asia. The problem is when you shop at Walmart, your money doesn't stay in your community. And the goods you're buying weren't made in your country. Herbert Hoover ran for president in 1928. In 1929, he cut taxes. He lowered the top rate from 25% to 24%. 1930, he vetoed several bills that would have provided direct relief to struggling Americans. You know, the kind of stuff that Biden's been passing nonstop. He said, prosperity cannot be restored by raids upon the public treasury. He said in his 1930 address to Congress. So... Who did he protect? He wasn't protecting working people struggling. No, not in the Depression. Herbert Hoover protected businesses. He signed the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act. He entered into a tariff war, like others you can imagine. Supposed to protect farmers, ended up imposing 40% tariffs on 900 products. Really stupid, really bad for business, just like what Trump did. That year, 1930, the nation's gross domestic product fell 8.5%. The unemployment rate was almost 9%. And in the following year, other countries retaliated against the U.S. with their own tariffs. And then the trade war reduced our trade internationally by 67%. GDP growth fell 6.4%. And the unemployment rate under Hoover in 1931, two years after the Wall Street crash, went up to 16%. Because Hoover was all about the laissez-faire economics. He thought an economy that's all about capitalism, it'll fix itself. It self-corrects. Economic assistance will make you lazy. The usual bullshit. You know what Will Rogers said about Herbert Hoover in 1932? He said they didn't start thinking of the old common fellow till just as they started out on the election tour. The money was all appropriated for the top in the hopes that it would trickle down to the needy. Mr. Hoover was an engineer. He knew that water trickles down, put it uphill and let it go and it will reach the driest little spot. But he didn't know that money trickled up. Give it to people at the bottom and the people at the top will have it before night anyhow. But it will at least have passed through the poor fellow's hands. They saved the big banks, but the little ones went up the flue. Will Rogers wrote that in his weekly column in the St. Petersburg Times in 1932. Biden is old. 
But the policies he will be running against will be Herbert Hoover, 94-year-old economic policies. Biden's very young compared to what he's going to be running against. And it doesn't matter if it's DeSantis, doesn't matter if it's Trump. It's going to be the aristocracy over the democracy because that's the only thing the Republican Party has run for office since Nixon left. Biden could have lied and said he was talking about Jackie Spear. That's not Biden. He, uh, Biden would rather take the hit and be a good Catholic and apologize to the family. So, look, if it's a choice between the guy who's trying to rig the election and calls women pieces of ass and is still lying that he won the election, I'll take the Biden gaffes. I'll take the old guy fucking up. But I'm not going to play dumb. The Republican Party can easily weaponize this and they will fundraise off this. The Joe Biden is senile meme is not going to go away. Biden is much sharper now than Reagan was in his second term. But in fairness, the Democrats called out Reagan's erratic statements back then. Today, they should expect the same. So if you don't like it, you run somebody else. You run somebody else in 2024. Don't worry about it. Maybe Biden's not going to run anyway. But if, if his age is such a problem, you get somebody else. I mean, I I generally vote based on what their policies are, whose policies will help the most people and hurt the fewest. But, you know, you you want a president who's not going to make old guy gaffes? Fine. Twenty eight percent of Democrats say they'd vote for Vice President Kamala Harris. Only twenty eight percent if Biden didn't run. And he's in the lead. Pete Buttigieg, 13 percent say they'd vote for him. And then Elizabeth Warren, uh, Gavin Newsom, Amy Klobuchar and Cory Booker are all in the single digits. Now, I know a lot can change in a primary field, and maybe a year from now, there'll be 10 Democrats running for the nomination against the 10 Republicans who'll be running for it. (laughs) But, you know, here's the thing. It all comes down to policy. Okay? (laughs) Yes, Biden's old, and old guys make old guy gaffes. But as the last two Republican presidents have proven... Millionaire at birth idiots make millionaire at birth idiot gaffes. Just think about leadership. Think about leadership. Because today Biden made a speech about something that I want you to imagine any Republican saying. He was talking about the incredibly dangerous nature of Hurricane Ian in these remarks today, which no one talked about this statement. Everyone talked about where's Jackie. But no one talked about the fact that Biden gave a warning to the greedy fossil fuel executives in this country. Give a quick listen. Is real. When the storm passes, the federal government's going to be there to help you recover. We'll be there to help you clean up and rebuild, to help you get Florida get moving again. And we'll be there at every step of the way. That's my absolute commitment to the people of the state of Florida. And if you forgive me, I want to add one more warning. That's warning to the oil and gas industry. Listen to this. Do not. Let me repeat. Do not. Do not use this as an excuse to raise gasoline prices or guys the American people. Boom. The price of oil has stayed relatively That's low. That's all we need to hear from it that one. going down. Thank price you. of gas. Well, no, keep it playing, actually. Keep it playing. As well. Okay, I want My you to just imagine me the Donald Trump of only about 190,000 barrels a day has been impacted by the storm thus far. That's less than 2% of the United States daily production impacted for a very short period of time. This small temporary storm impact on oil production provides no excuse, no excuse for price increases at the pump, none. 
gas companies Boom. try Thank you, to Chris. use this storm to raise so think about that a warning let me repeat do not use this as an excuse to raise gasoline prices and gouge the american people can you imagine ron DeSantis? can you imagine donald trump doing this newt gingrich mike pence tucker carlson can you imagine george bush or dick cheney calling out oil companies for trying to profit off the suffering of working americans you can't that's why <laughs> joe biden is very young compared to the very old dead men whose policies he'll be running against. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with great Bob Seska. This is progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of morning, Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. I am so glad to welcome to the show the great Bob Seska, one of our favorite guests. Bob, of course, is um, the star of the Bob Seska podcast. You might have fallen in love with his work on the Stephanie Miller show. Maybe you're a big fan like I am from uh, his columns in Salon. Bob uh, joins us every Wednesday night to class to join up. And Bob, we were having a big problem with uh, our microphones. We just got it all sorted out in time for your call. Welcome back, sir. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. And in fact, I'm hearing two of you. So I'm just uh, I'll let you know, I'll let the people in the booth <laughs> know uh, what I'm hearing on my end. I don't know if everyone else can hear two of you, mm. but I'm Chris, do you two hear of two you, of me. So, I don't it's know. so yeah. fun. Doing well, not anymore. Like... No, no, no. Oh, it's fixed. I, mean, it's fixed. Okay. I spoke too soon. I okay. hear. Yeah, now we're saying I mean, I hear John in my sleep. <laughs> Bob, is this is this other me in the room with us right now? Bob, can you can you no, point no, on the zoom to any... where the do you can you see the other me in my zoom picture, Bob? I, we're, we're your friends. We we love you. And we invited you here not to do a show, but because we love you. Is this is your first zoom yeah. intervention? Is this your first? I thought I was I thought it was being punked or something. I thought there was some sort of prank happening. Where there was, oh, there you are. Hey, now I see you, too. <laughs> yes, you were you were being punked right. the first time you agreed to appear on this show. Thank you so much. Yes. Now I'm back. Welcome. <laughs> we just so much, had an amazing man. technological feat here in uh, in South Harlem. Uh, it's good to see you, Mr. Seska. Thank you so much. It's it's on a day when all eyes are turned to Florida and the devastation yeah. of this storm. Uh, obviously, it's kind of hard to keep focused on the politics. Yeah, it is. Uh, my good friend and co-host on Tuesdays on my podcast, Buzz Burbank, lives in the uh, Pinellas County area, which is Tampa and so on. And uh, fortunately for him, it seems like the track of Ian is sort of dodging them and and heading uh, more south. Uh, I guess was it like is moving northeast now at this point? It was 
initially moving north and now it's moving more yes. toward Orlando. It, it, it devastated Fort Myers. It did. So, Sanibel uh, Island is underwater, but it really uh, Tampa was largely unscathed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good news for everyone in Tampa. I know my dad has a, a condo in, in Clearwater, so uh, I'm relieved for the condition of that property, certainly. But um, yeah, I'm not so relieved for everyone else who has faced gigantic storm surges. Uh, you know, I, I, and I, I can't relate necessarily to the ocean rising up and washing away all of your things, but back in, I want to say 1999, 2000, somewhere around there, hurricane Floyd came up the That's East right. coast and flooded out the first house that I ever owned. I had a little duplex and but the basement flooded straight away because of yeah. that hurricane. And then, strangely enough, every property I owned subsequent to that, I owned a commercial property for my animation studio briefly. And then I also bought a, a house after I sold the house that flooded. And both of those properties also got flooded in the basement as well. Wow. So I have like this weird thing. And I've lived in two houses that have also burned down. So wow. I, okay. natural disasters of any sort, man, my so empathy I'm, I'm, goes. I'm not going to store my for... shit at your place is what you're saying. I'm not going to store shit at <laughs> yeah, your place please, when I move. Okay. Please uh, don't. Know, yeah. I think, I think most of us, especially if you've lived on the coast with the hurricanes, have, have a story like this. I mean, I remember when mm -hmm. I was a kid, Hurricane Gloria, and we had no electricity on Long Island for a whole week. Um, oh, yeah. We were doing homework by candlelight. And then, of course, you know, 10 years ago, I had just moved my mother. Um, out of Florida when my mother went mm -hmm. into hospice and uh, um, I had unpacked all my stuff from the attic, all my stuff from my parents' attic when we finally sold the house and I moved yeah. all my stuff. I rented a truck, brought it up to New York, put it in a brand new storage unit in the basement in Hell's Kitchen, 10th Avenue. You wouldn't think that waves of raw sewage would make it all the way to 10th Avenue in Manhattan. And um, that yeah. was the week before Hurricane Sandy hit. And all my yeah. childhood stuff, everything, all yearbooks, letters, car photos, all destroyed by four feet deep of sewage. Oh, I can literally tell you, Bob, my, my childhood is toxic. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I know what you mean. But, you know, I absolutely it, know what you mean. You have to live through a hurricane to realize how awe-inspiring uh, and terrible these storms are and yeah. i know joy behar caught some heat for for talking about this or don lemon caught some heat for talking about it earlier today but you know scientists agree regarding regardless of your politics when oceans are one degree warmer you mm -hmm. will be seeing more hurricanes yeah yeah and of course we can lie to ourselves and deny that there is a climate crisis happening or as i've been referring to it uh, john as human extinction is actually occurring uh, climate crisis i think that has, you know, run its course. I think a lot of people hear the word climate. They mistake it for weather. They confuse right. the thing. And there's all this disinformation out there regarding the climate or global warming. I think if we redefine it as human extinction, impending human extinction, I think that will have much more of an impact. And it has the benefit of being true as well, because yeah. ultimately, as we've heard time and time again, the planet will ultimately be fine. It's yeah. human beings that will have a very, very difficult time as this gets worse and worse and worse. And so, as I was saying before, we can deny all of it and pretend that it's not happening, just like uh, so many of us pretended COVID didn't exist. Uh, but that's not going to change a goddamn thing. Uh, obviously, the science is correct. And this is happening. We are in the middle of it now. No, it's not creating hurricanes. It's only no. making the hurricanes worse. And I think that's what we can expect. And 
One of the things that concerns me, John, about this is as we move forward in time, as we contend with more and more of these natural disasters, I also, by the way, lived through the Santa Rosa wildfires as well, which was insane. You talk about, you know, not knowing from moment to moment what was going to happen. But uh, as these things get worse and worse, wildfires, floods, um, I'm afraid that what we're going to do is instead of focusing on the solution to prevent the advancement of the climate crisis, to to prevent the uh, uh, advancement of uh, of the globe getting warmer and 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 temperatures going off the ocean temperatures rising. I'm afraid that we're going to focus on just mitigation, like creating better seawalls and hurricane proof housing and things like that, rather than focusing on the real problem itself. And yeah. that's why I'm so relieved and, and not to make this flagrantly political, but that's why I'm so relieved to have the Inflation Reduction Act and this huge cut in carbon emissions that as part of it. So hopefully that will continue the trend and there'll be another step after that to further reduce carbon emissions rather than focusing on, you know, what will inevitably happen as well, which is, uh, you know, new sand berms and things like that to right. uh, prevent the, you know, the symptoms of the climate crisis. But we're still faced with the actual thing itself. Bob, I, I want to say we should actually point out the fact that this is, uh, at least today, some Floridians are having a worse day than Donald Trump, because most days that's not true. <laughs> and um, yeah. Donald Trump, like most rich people, will never be inconvenienced by a hurricane or by climate change. But yeah. Donald Trump is, uh, I would say that in a summer of very bad weeks, he's had a very bad week. And of course, we could talk about Tish James all day, but let's just talk about a story that was driven from the headlines today. Um, the Mar-a-Lago espionage case, because... <laughs> It's like they take one day off to cover a hurricane, and that's when we find out, oh, wait, no, it wasn't 35 boxes. It wasn't 11,000 documents. It was actually 200,000 pages of material that was taken Mm -hmm. from Mar-a-Lago. Oh, and by the way, the special master comes out and says that no vendors will work with Trump. And the DOJ is saying, uh, put up or shut up if you want to claim that the FBI planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago. Like, the one day we don't (laughs) pay attention to this story, and so much more happens. And also Donald Trump fired Chris Keis, which Mm -hmm. is another dimension to all of this, which is that a good God. Can you imagine having to be a lawyer for Donald Trump? Can you imagine the micromanaging that's going on in that scenario? And that's probably why Chris Keis left, because Chris Keis was giving Donald Trump professional legal advice. And Donald Trump didn't want to hear any of that because Donald Trump's all about shaving the corners off of reality and shaving the corners off of truth. And in this case, for example, where uh, Judge Deary is insisting that the Trump team prove that documents were planted or evidence was planted by the FBI. Uh, And obviously they can't do that. They're painted into a corner. Donald Trump has painted himself into a corner. Judge Deary has added another coat of paint to that paint. So uh, that's the situation there. And, And I'm sure Chris Geis was like, you know, we have to we have to do what the judge is asking us here because the burden is on us. We are the plaintiffs in this case. We have to prove our allegations against the government. And so far, they haven't really done that, which is the most bizarre thing. But obviously, the upshot here is delay, delay, delay. That's it. Every well, second I mean, that goes by. Yeah. 
and this is something I, I was we were on stage at the Steph show the other night with uh, with Glenn um, with uh, no Glenn Kirshner to be in L.A. with Jackie Spear. And and I was just talking about the fact that it's all about the billable hours, that Donald Trump's lawyers are playing him the way Donald Trump plays everyone around him. They are mm-hmm. bleeding him like one of his smarter wives. This guy, Chris <laughs> Keiss, knows that Donald Trump doesn't pay people. So he said, I'll come work for you, but you've got to pay me three million up front. And Trump yeah. agreed. And Trump paid him $3 million up front, which is to say, Bob, dumb motherfuckers who donate to Trump's super PAC paid Chris Keis $3 million up front, money that could have been spent on a new private jet. And now Keis is already off the team. Why would he be fired already unless he just wouldn't lie for Trump? Because it seems to me being a Donald Trump lawyer is the best gig in the world. You know what the outcome is going to be. Your job is to delay it and keep on charging more billable hours. That's right. And he was probably resisting doing that. Obviously, Judge Deary is putting a lot of pressure on the Trump team. And I think Chris Keiss wanted to comply with that or else lose his law license in this ridiculous, frivolous lawsuit. So I think to that extent, uh, he didn't want to engage in any more Trump fuckery. He was more interested in preserving his career and his reputation as a lawyer. So this is one of many times we're going to see in this process where Donald Trump is uh, booting lawyers off of his team, hiring new lawyers, running out to the next nearest uh, bus bench, you know, to find another lawyer (laughs) phone number to, to call. Better call Saul at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's, I think, how this is always going to go. And as I said before, the entire point of this is to get everyone talking about, well, in this case, Chris Keis or getting everyone to talk about whatever crazy thing Donald Trump said yesterday about, you know, evidence right. being planted or being able to declassify things with your mind rather than talking about the real issue here, which is that whether he declassified those documents or not, what really matters here is. He thought that once he declassified them, that he could just keep them. They were right. just his to keep. I could just these are mine now. Yeah. It's like going it's like staying in a hotel room. And after you well, use the towels, you say, well, I've used these towels, so I'm just going to keep them. They're mine now because I've, yeah. I've touched them. It's like it's like you, you, you the bullies. He thought the generals grades. worked for he thought the generals worked for him. He thought the White House counsel and the attorney <laughs> right. general worked for him. Mr. Seska, we're, we're at a hard out. Thank you so much for joining gotcha. us again. We'll see you next week. Everybody subscribe to the Bob Seska show. When we come back, I'm so excited because I, I don't know if you listen to the Politics Girl podcast. You should. Lee McGowan is just brilliant, and I've wanted to get her on the show for ages. We finally have her joining us. Coming right up, one of the best podcasters in the game being sucked into our liberal web of lies and deceit. This is Progress After Dark, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back to Series Sex and Progress. If you have enjoyed our recent interviews with Julian Lennon or, or our town hall with Ken Burns for his amazing documentary about the U.S. and the Holocaust, if you missed them, you can always hear them on demand on the Series XM app or on the John Fugelsang podcast. Also, uh, coming up, William Shatner returns to the show. We're very excited about that. And uh, this Friday, Michael Cohen. We recorded the interview the other day, and it went really well. Chris, I think he, I really think he likes me. I know he likes me. I, he's... He's he's actually here now. He's he's staying on my couch. Um, he's actually been here for a couple of days, crashing on the couch. I I I don't know what to. Say. He's very nice. Uh, he's borrowed money three times, but we're we're happy to have him. So please tune in to hear that on uh, on Friday night. Right now, I am so thrilled to welcome. I'm I'm geeking out over this because there are some people who are podcasters in the progressive world or or liberal world or or democratic world or just anti evil anti-evil fundamentalist fascist motherfucker world uh but lee mcgowan does one of the smartest and most uh passionate podcasts out there you may know her as politics girl now she's uh native of toronto so you know she's cool and um (laughs) we have our paths have crossed many many times over the years but i've watched her over the years her youtube channel is just fantastic and um she's a daily tiktok and instagram and twitter ranter and one of my favorite people to follow the podcast itself is super fun, and it makes me angry because she's so effortlessly funny, yet she can do really, really deep interviews with newsmakers. She has a great one with Karen Bass this week that'll make you want to move to L.A. and register to vote. What a pleasure to welcome Lee McGowan, a.k.a. Politics Girl, to uh, our evil army of the night. Hello. Hello, John. Thank you for joining, uh, having me join your army. I love that. Thank you. As a Canadian, I don't get much chance to be in the army, so I will take it. (laughs) Well, if you were Russian, you'd be getting a chance right now, like Snowden. I know. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. They'd have me shipped out on the first, on the first train to the front line. Uh, Listen, I'm such a fan. I really am. I'm so delighted to have you. And I want to just begin by saying how much um, I love that you got Karen Bass to sit down. Uh, You, you do so effortlessly what I pretend I can do on this show, which is you will go uh, satirical, you will go broad, you will go goofy even, very, very funny, and then you can change to a serious policy-driven discussion on a dime. I pretend to do that, but you make it look easy. Now, you do the show with your husband, right? My husband is the producer, yeah. He got stuck with me during the pandemic. Uh, He just happened to have the skills that I needed and uh, the time because he was stuck in a house with me for almost two years. So yeah, Mm. no, he did get wheeled in. Um, But I think now that the project has really taken off, there is definitely a part of him that's like, um, this is not my full-time job and I have lost my mind doing this with my wife, but we were both really passionate and it gives me a place to put it. And that's, I mean, the rants that I do in my kitchen that came yes. directly from me following my husband around the house, ranting at him and him being like, babe, I love you, but could you put that somewhere else? You know? Well, and that's how yes. those ones were born. That's inspiring. Cause Chris won't even go out with me, but you know, my <laughs> producer, but I wanted to ask you about that because like we go up here at the night and uh, my last show is in the afternoon, but we've been working here at What the Fuck O'Clock for a couple of seasons now and it's fun. But I always thought that these these breakfast rants you do, 
I think it's what you call them, right? The breakfast rants. Breakfast that, that rants. That seems yeah. like the smartest, most passionate way to start your day in a creative way to get fired up about the things that matter early in the morning. And is that what yeah. we're talking about? That just evolved from you ranting in the morning. Do you, do no you joke. If you up? go back on my TikTok account, which now has, you know, we've done 450 videos or whatever. I mean, it's it's bananas how many there's been now. But um, if you look at the first videos, uh, I'm in my pajamas. I literally have no makeup on. I'm drinking a coffee. It was back when you had to do TikTok at 58 seconds. So we were like, geez, this is uh. really hard. And so the the view of those old ones, that's where we found the rhythm of the breakfast rants because my husband basically just edited out me breathing. We just didn't have the time for breath. So <laughs> he just edited cuts. it out and it became a vibe. Um, but yeah, no. And we got to a hundred thousand followers and I was like, oh, I should probably get dressed, you know, like, uh, is, and then, you know, we got a hundred thousand more followers and I was like, these people deserve a little mascara, you know? And so I, I've, I've pulled it together a little bit. Uh, and then the podcast is just an extension of the rant, which was really a reflection of the original YouTube channel, which is civics, but with mm -hmm. sass and with personality and with a way for people to engage in the political process, because, I started the whole thing because people were clued out and everyone I knew was clued out. And every time I would talk about a political issue or get involved in a political issue or want to talk about something that was happening, I'd watch their eyes glaze over. And it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I know. <laughs> it's a little I bit know. like when you're an actor, right? You're like, oh, this part I'm working on. It's and your friends are like, you know, and you think, oh, they're not interested. And it's, it's the so same true. thing with politics. It's the but same politics thing. actually affects your life. You know, the off, off, off Broadway show you're doing about, you know, uh, you're playing a shoe that maybe isn't as interesting, but uh, but politics really matters to people's lives. And I realized that at the end of the day, people's lack of interest is really just a lack of knowledge. And once you know more then you want to do more, you know, once you know, you can't help but care. You know, I agree. But I, my, my big fear, I've always said that voter apathy is fascism's lube and people who don't care are the reason it's it's not the liberals not voting it's the people who just don't care and are disengaged from the whole thing and the challenge always is how do we get our loved ones our our lovers our friends our facebook friends our coworkers to actually realize um hey no it's it's local and state elections matter a lot more than just who's president i mean i guess we all have six really awful fascist supreme court justices to thank this year uh they gutted roe v wade but they have awakened i think a sleeping democratic giant i'm Cautiously optimistic that all these pundits with their landline polls are going to be shocked at the voter turnout this fall. Yeah, I actually am, too. I think they're going to be shocked by the young people that yeah. come out. Um, but I think, you know, I think the first way to connect with people and get people voting, because I think people forget that the non-voters are the biggest voting voting block in the country. Right. Always. You know, 81 million people voted for Joe Biden. 74 million people voted for Trump. But mm -hmm. 111 million people didn't vote. So they're still the biggest voting block in the entire country. I always and, say in 2016, uh, apathy came in first, Hillary second, Trump third. <laughs> but the thing is, is I think what we need to do is we need to approach people with the idea that this apathy they feel is by design. So people don't have to feel bad because often when people feel bad, they check out. They're like, oh, I feel guilty. And now I feel bad. And I don't want to be part of it. This apathy is by design. I mean, what have we been told our whole lives not to talk about? Right. Mm -hmm. Politics and religion. And what yeah. are the two things that cause the most problems in the history of the world? Politics and religion. So not talking about it just serves the people in charge. It just serves the people making the rules. And so they want us not talking about it. The apathy oh, yeah. is by design. And so 
the more we start talking about it, the more we get our people involved, the more people understand. And I always say we're responsible for our people. You know, that means the people at your dining room table. That means having that weird, uncomfortable conversation. But that also means like the person doing your hair or the person that you meet at the coffee shop or whoever it is. I don't mean get into fights with hardcore Trump supporters. I think that's a utterly waste of your time at this point. But get into conversations with people that just don't know or people that just don't vote and start explaining those things to them. Because ultimately, once you know, it's like learning a new word, you know, you learn a new word and suddenly everyone's using that word. No, they're not. It just went over your head before. That was the Stacey Abrams model when she ran against Stacey Evans. The last time, Stacey Evans model, she was great, but she's like, hey, we got to talk some sense into these Trump voters. Stacey Abrams was, no, you can't do that. Let's go for everybody who didn't vote last time or has become a citizen since last time or who has turned 18 since last time. So let me ask you, if I may, about our current Republican Party, because God bless our friends over there. Uh, In in the last, what, 10 days, they've they've pushed a deeply unpopular national abortion ban uh, for the first time in history, a former president has faced an attorney general lawsuit that could devastate him financially. Um, a governor used taxpayer dollars for COVID to fly a legal asylum seekers from one state to another state in a stunt. And of course, a game show host who became president uh, but lost the popular vote twice had another Nazi rally. Um, on top of all of this, they are running a slate of candidates for the Senate that look like Todd Aiken's 2012 All-Stars. Here's Mitch McConnell, a Tucris. They were asked. He was asked today to update his thoughts about the poor pool of candidates his party is putting on the midterm ballot. Here's Mitch. Just as we head into the election, do you still stand by your comments about candidate quality or has your outlook changed? In every election, every year, this year, past years, it's great to have terrific candidates. We're in a bunch of close races. I think we have a 50-50 shot of getting the Senate back. It's going to be really, really close either way, in my view. So notice he didn't actually refute anything. He just said it's great to have good candidates. They have J.D. Vance. They have Herschel Walker. They have Dr. Oz. Blake Masters is blowing it like I've never seen in Arizona. Should we be thankful um, that our fascists tend to be really inept? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We should be thankful for that, John. I mean, listen, we should be grateful that Donald Trump is so inept. You know, if with the amount of opportunity that man had, we should already be a fascist dictatorship. I mean, I've never in my life seen someone so clueless to, to make that many mistakes and surround yourself with that many yes men that cannot do their jobs. This is an astounding thing. You've got Devin Nunes leaving the, you know, to run his new true social. The thing's been run into the ground. I mean, the amount of people that blew it here will never get that chance again. So we have to be very, very sure that we don't let these people back into power because they learned all their mistakes. They know where they blew it the first time and they are not going to make that mistake again. And you can see people like Mike Pompeo and people that are smarter versions, people like DeSantis, you know, that would come in and not make those same errors, but have exactly the same plan, which is Mm -hmm. we answer to nobody and our rules are the rules and you will live the way we tell you to live because we think we've got it right. And I think that the midterms really are our last best chance to stave off this tip into autocracy, which is going on around the entire world. It's not just happening in America. Um, It sure is. 
everyone in the world is sort of going like, I just need my problem solved. And these people say they'll fix it, you know, and the problem with democracy is it's hard work. It's a lot of work and it's not things just don't get fixed overnight and you can't just get it done. And, you know, and people are frustrated with that. They get tired of that. They just want it to be done. And someone like Donald Trump comes in and says, only I can fix it. And you've been forgotten. And the reason your life isn't the way it is, is because of these people. So let's get rid of these people and your life will be perfect. Of course it will not. Of course. Now imagine that. Imagine that pitch in Italian, and you'll see why we got a reboot this week. Um, with a prettier hair. With much prettier hair, much, 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 much more hair. attractive than Uncle Benito, I must say. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't been as terrified of what's been happening in um, in Italy, and maybe I'm naive. It seems like they don't have the same will of the people behind them that Mussolini had. This seems like fascists who, if they want to keep their job, are going to have to learn to compromise with other parties and the European Union really quickly. Because if we know one thing about Italian voters, I was saying earlier in the show, uh, they're very skeptical of anybody in office and they will vote you what we call the fuck out 10 times in one year if they don't like it. So I, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Do you have any thoughts? I really don't. I wish I did. I mean, all I can say is it's bad. It's bad news with authoritarianism rising around the world. All I can say is they've they've set up their system better there. You know, there's more checks and balances. If they don't, the people don't like what's happening, they have a way to overturn it almost immediately in a way we don't. Uh, we have these elections every two years, but really the presidential elections every four years, and there's no way to reverse it. There's no way to reverse it if you put someone like a Christian Cinema in and she's there for six years and you're like, oh, she's not even a Democrat. Like, what are we doing? There's no way to recall her. We have no right. recourse. It wasn't built into our system. It was built into these European systems a lot more. Um, and if you can't get a coalition, then you can't govern and then you're done, which <laughs> fingers crossed, that's what happens. But I think... The bigger picture is, is authoritarianism more appealing to people? Have people just fallen out of love with democracy? It just seems too difficult. And, you know, you look at Hungary and you look at Belarus and you look at Brazil Brazil. and you look at Russia and, you know, and people go, is it just more appealing? Do you just want someone to come in and tell you what you're going to do and where you're going to be and who's the good person and who's the bad person? And, you know, people love that kind of dichotomy. They love uh black and white yes and no and they love it if they're on obviously if they're on the the side of the win the winning side you know these christian fascists in our nation they're the minority they're the it's, minority of this country and they yet are. they feel like the big winners now because people keep saying like you know you've been left behind and we're going to protect you and you're the victims and here we are for you and i always think oh lord you know i i wonder about the republicans i mean you're talking about the republicans i'm the Republicans that are still planning to vote for this slate of people, the Blake yeah. Masters and the J.D. Vances and the, you know, Mastrianos, these people, mm-hmm. because it's like I, I'm not talking to the racists. I mean, there's nothing I can do about people's completely misguided belief that their skin color somehow makes them better. You know, those people cannot be reached at this moment. You know, they're holding on to their whiteness as a life raft and it's really an anchor and they can't see that it's holding them back and they don't know. And I don't think I'm talking to the QAnons or the conspiracy theorists because they're down a rabbit hole and I could give you a thousand facts and they would tie themselves into knots. Beyond morality, beyond reason. Yeah. And it's like they're going to try and justify it a million different ways. Um, I don't even think I'm talking to, uh, you know, the people who are who are lost 
just in general who don't vote, who don't know, who just vote the way their friends do, the people that always end up talking to the Daily Show at the rallies, yes. you know, where you try and explain one thing to them and they're like, oh, you know, you and they have literally either. no idea. Yeah. I'm talking to the people who are going to vote Republican strictly for their wallets. And I think, can you not see what your party has become? Can you not see what's happening right now in the country? Because these are smart people. These are people who have all access to know what's going on. And they're choosing their wallets anyway. And I keep thinking, while you're protecting your tax bracket, you are leaving your freedoms unattended. And once your freedoms are taken away, you cannot just get those back. If you take away women's rights, we're, we're the first people to come after. You know, it sounds like that old poem from from Nazi Germany. You know, first they came for the, you know, first they yeah. came for the women and I wasn't a woman, so I didn't say anything, you know. Of course. But then they're coming for contraception and then they'll come for gay rights and then they'll cut like it doesn't stop at abortion. No, but, and so know, to, I, I wonder what well, these people well, I, are thinking. There's two things I think about that. They're not thinking because they saw right. all this happen under Bush Cheney already. They saw trickle down collapse and fail them under Reagan Bush. They saw all of this fail under Bush and Cheney. Bush left office and said he thought he'd be the last Republican ever elected. I mean, we warned them about Bush for years. They hated us for warning them about Bush. Then Trump comes along and tells them everything we've been telling them about Bush. And now they believe it. It's it's a cult. But I think it's not just their pocketbook for a generation for all of my life. They've had the most sophisticated spiritual racket in history. The Republican Party has had a greater racket than organized religion has had. They have taken uh, 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 the Christians in America, the followers of Jesus, and they have been able to sucker the followers of Jesus into literally voting against everything Christ ever talked about by talking about abortion, which Christ Never talked about. I'm all for government based on Christian values. Uh, values of Jesus? True sure. Christian no values. Yeah, no sure. death penalty. Do welcome unto stranger. others. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Heal, yeah. Take care of the sick. Be kind to those in prison. Take care of the poor. Yeah, that's good for an economy. For a generation, they've been able to get people to show up and vote just because of abortion. Now... It's done. Their number one fundraising tool, their number one get out the vote tool of Roe v. Wade is gone. Can they scare people enough? about Mexicans by November. That's really the question, because as you put, you had a great tweet. You said, here's the thing. This Republican Party has no interest in governing, no interest in policy, thought for the people, uh, no thought for the people. They are about power and power alone. So anybody who cares about this country's future cannot, under any circumstances, allow them to have it. It seems, Lee, like they're really good at getting elected. They're not really good at keeping that power because they have no ideas. Well, because they don't stand for anything. The thing is, no. is that you can scare people into voting for you, but you can't govern from there. Yeah. And they haven't governed for a really long time. And Matt Gates was just on TV yesterday saying the first thing they'll do, um, aside from making sure we pay more for prescription drugs, uh, is mm -hmm. impeach Biden and impeach yeah. Harris and take the entire one six committee and call them before the, you know, get your papers ready. Like, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I think, can you not? Can people not see like the they have no interest. They have just no interest in governing in the people, in what would be best for the people, in how we need to handle the country in the coming climate catastrophe. You know, everything is in many ways the way the Republicans govern is reactionary and fear based. The way yes. the Democrats often run is reactionary and and. The Democrats are actually quite good leaders. Once you give them power, if they have power, they get things accomplished. Look at look what Biden's been able to accomplish in two years. It's astounding. Mm -hmm. One of mm -hmm. my friends wrote me a text today and he said, I'm having this fight with this guy online 
uh, he was having an email with a friend of his and he's like, what has Biden actually done? And I was like, Ron. <laughs> he's like, could you just write it out for me? And I was like, sure. So I wrote this little thing out for him and he was like, holy shit, he's done a lot, right? And I was like, exactly. yes, dude, he's done a lot. And these are smart, educated people. You know, they kind of have an idea. But they're not news nerds. No, they're you know, not. I mean, and unfortunately, the, we're not as good as as selling our our wins as they are at selling the fear fear and yeah. we need to get better at that we just need yeah, to get I mean, better at it greatest uh, growth of employment in one year in the history of the country nato's never been stronger what let's go through a really top of my head the the chips and science act which is going to bring manufacturing back here right the pact act for the vets uh the inflation reduction act um uh the american rescue plan first black yep. woman on the supreme court um yep. incredible once in a generation infrastructure investments i mean like that's just off the top of my head they've been doing getting so it's like they're lesbian scientologists they're getting so much done in one day i swear to god i've never <laughs> seen such a productive congress in my life they're, they're doing it but if your friend doesn't know yeah. Let's assume that other people who don't watch the news obsessively like us nerds don't know. So yeah. is Roe v. Wade outrage going to be enough? I mean, that's really well, listen, the I think that I think that that is I, I think that's the linchpin. Honestly, yeah. I think it's hard to avoid that one. I think you're right. This they have been running off this since Reagan, um, the, you know, moral majority stuff. And they are like the dog that caught the car. This is their one big thing. This is the thing. We're going to overturn Roe. We're going to overturn Roe. Okay, well, it's done. And not only is it done, you guys are kind of like psyched about it and quite cruel about it. And actually yeah. women can just go die about it. And I find that it is so distasteful to people, so many people. And I'm talking about Republican women I know and people that are like, well, I've always voted Republican, but I don't know what they're doing with this row thing. And it is astounding the amount of people who have turned their backs on this party that I have spoken to. And these are people that I go back to that are voting with their wallets um, mm. who are just uh, it's the gleeful nature in which they are ripping rights away. It's not That's just it. that they're taking them. It's that they have bounties on women's head in Texas and they have neighbors spying on neighbors, you know, and they have this kind of behavior. It's it's way past, you know, we want to protect, you know, the unborn child. It is way past that. It's we want to punish women. Women should probably go to jail. Women should probably have the death sentence, this kind of thing. Uh, it's all extremism. And I think that's the thing about the party. It's become so extreme. If you're just joining us, my guest is the great Lee McGowan, better known in the podcast world as Politics Girl. Uh, I really love the recent interview with Karen Bass. I I'm wondering, what what's what have you learned um, about our system, about how media works in politics since you've begun doing all these interviews? You're very, very good at it, and you do a really, really fun show. H how oh, has becoming I, a media really figure impacted that. your view of the whole system? Well, one of the things I wanted to do when I started having guests on the show, because when I started the podcast, I was doing essentially like TED Talks or college lectures, you know, on bigger concept ideas yeah. uh, that I wanted people to understand. Why is our education, public education, such a mess? You know, what is actually going on with the media? Why has legacy media let us down so much? You know, the rise of authoritarianism around the world. I did an entire podcast episode where I thought it would be just sort of a simple, easy episode that would explain, you know, socialism and 
fascism and Marxism and all these words that people indiscriminately use wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And it turned out to be this <laughs> giant episode because, you know, I was like, oh, well, you can't really explain socialism without explaining capitalism. And you can't really explain, you know, communism without explaining socialism. And you can't explain either of them without putting them in historical context. And so I ended up like back in ancient Greece and I mm-hmm. went all the way to Russia invading Ukraine. And I thought, Holy hell, what have I done to myself? And when I when I boiled it down into an episode, my husband, who I said is my producer, he was like, damn, I didn't know most of that. And I thought, I know, right? You think you know. You think you know <laughs> this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's when the Berlin Wall came in. And that's why we had, you know, and you think you know these things. And then when you learn them, it puts it all the pieces together in your head. And so I started doing those. So when I actually started having guests on the show, I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing what everyone else was doing. And so one of the things I wanted to do was just have a conversation with people. So if I'm talking to a political person or I'm talking to a pundit or I'm talking to a politician, often they say things in a way that most people don't talk like. We don't Correct. talk like that. <laughs> And so they would say something and I would say, okay, what do you mean when you say that? Or you say this, but like, in what way? And they're like, oh, you know, and then you see them backing up and try to explain it differently or, or they would say something. And I'm like, and when you say that, you mean like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean, because most of them have a wonky way of speaking that sort of loses people and checks people out. Yes. And I thought, if I'm going to have guests, I want people to really get something out of it. If they're going to spend an hour with me, you know. The death of actual journalism was 24-hour journalism. It was 24-7 news, you know, because then you're constantly trying to fill the time with Well, and ratings-driven ratings driven news in general. I mean, the golden age of niche news where we go for affirmation, not information, and where, you know, Trump is hate-watching, Trump is ratings crack, it's all about the eyeballs, and if talking about Trump all day gets enough liberals to tune in because we hate him, then that's what the news is going to be. And that's what we have yeah. to get past. Yeah. Yeah, we have to get past it. And so... I'm lucky enough to do a show about things I actually care about for one hour a week for the most part. And so if you're going to spend an hour with me, I want your time to be worthwhile. And so that's what I do with my conversations. And you just mentioned the conversation I had with Karen Bass. I happen to love Karen Bass. I also really feel very uh, distrustful of this new way that Republicans are trying to get into the political sphere, which is to wrap themselves like wolf in sheep's clothing style as something they are not. And whether that's a Mm -hmm. Blake Masters scrubbing his website of all of his extremist abortion views and now acting like, oh, I'm just totally moderate on this. And you're like, no, you're not, Blake. You get in trouble. If you get into power, you're going to be the most extremist we could possibly have. So let's stop pretending we're something we're not. And the thing about this L.A. mayor's race is that there's two Democrats running, except they're not both Democrats, right? One is yeah. an actual Democrat who's worked her whole life in social services and in healthcare and in, um, you know, starting a community coalition and then in state government and now in national government. And the other person is a billionaire real estate developer who's been a Republican <laughs> his whole life and became a Democrat three weeks before he uh, ran for mayor because, you know, he's yeah. just running in a Democratic city. And listen. Maybe he had a giant change of heart and suddenly he's a liberal Democrat who believes in all of our values. That's wonderful. You have been a Democrat for less than a year. We're not going to give you Los Angeles, the second biggest city in the country and the blue one of the bluest cities to run. We just can't do that. Be a Democrat for maybe longer Bloomberg than a year. Bloomberg his way in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's trying to Bloomberg his way through. Yeah. And so I just I, I'm tired of that kind of stuff. So I have I had Karen on the show, but also I am. A nerd, right? So I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time on this woman's website. 
And her website is incredible, John. Like I've seen it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, literally, it's like it doesn't say we're going to fix homelessness. It says we're going to fix homelessness. And here's how. And then it's literally just pages and pages of like, we're going to have this and we're going to do this. And there's all these weird rules that we don't need to have. And so talking to her, that's what we talked about. She was like, oh, Lee, there are so many stupid rules that no one has gotten rid of. You know, like you go in to do something and you're like, what do you mean I can't do this? She made this great example of how we have so many people on the street now who have mental health crises. And that's because we closed all the places where mental health patients could go. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we basically made an open air asylum on the street. And the only choice we had was to arrest them and put them in prison. That's right. And so we have enough money for people to be in prison all the time, but we don't have enough money to put people somewhere where they could be helped. So she said, okay, so I wanted to talk about how we could make places where people who are having mental problems rather than criminal problems could go. But there's a law on the books where you can't put people who are having mental crises, more than 19 of them in one building. So the Ah. woman that was in charge of it had to build three separate buildings on a plot of land they had, which was astronomically more expensive and very stupid and very inefficient. And so Karen's like, I'm looking at this law and I was like, why is this still on the books? This is from 50 years ago. Like, why are we doing this? And this is what a lifelong, not politician, but public servant can do for a city like Los Angeles. It's gotten so mired in its own shenanigans over the years that we're actually completely inefficient. And she's in there actually making plans to not only fix the problems, but do it differently, treat the root cause instead of just brushing it all under the carpet. And I have to say, if you're a billionaire real estate developer, what's going to happen if you're going to get rid of homelessness? You're going to build. So you're going Mm -hmm. to give your own contracts to your own people and Mm -hmm. you're going to make money doing that. Like no one spends $60 million of their own money and doesn't want a return for their investment. No one does that. And so you have all of these celebrities coming on being like, he's the best. You should vote for Rick, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, you don't live in Los Angeles. You live in Calabasas or wherever you live. (laughs) And secondly, you can't even vote in this election. Secondly, he's going to do that thing where we brush everything under the carpet and say, all fixed. No, it's not fixed. The kind of Democrat we don't need more of. Yeah. Out of my eyeline. We don't need that. We need people that are like, here's the root cause. We're going to dig up the root of this weed. And we're going to build something new, something that makes more sense, something that we don't end up back in this problem again. And Karen's that kind of person. And I called the episode The Good Karen because I saw, obviously yes. we've had a lot of bad Karens and particularly Karens that look like me and we need to do better. So she is the real deal. And I am so proud of her. She's just the kind of leader we need. Um yeah, no, no, I agree with really you. And I, 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 I'd, I'd love to see her get more of a national platform. And for anybody who wants to know why progressives are excited in L.A. County, do yourself a favor. Listen to the Politics Girl podcast, the most recent episode. Lee, it's such a joy to have you. Before I let you go, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't just ask you, um, what do you think happened to uh, a certain senator who decided it would be a good idea to speak at the McConnell Institute this week. I've interviewed <laughs> Kirsten Cinema back when she was anti-war and a liberal years ago. Um, is it just money? Do you have any theories on that particular personal corruption? What could have done it? Yeah, look, I mean, what a disappointment, right? You, It goes back to my wolf in sheep's clothing thing. There's nothing worse than someone who presents themselves as one thing and then turns out to completely betray what they were and act in another way. And it doesn't matter if it's you and your friend from 
elementary school that you're still heartbroken over that they turned their back on you, or it's a senator like Christian Sinema who has the power to yeah. protect our voting rights and protect our human rights and turns her back on us to do that. Um, especially when she was elected to be the complete opposite of that. I mean, exactly. look, she's at the McConnell Institute. She's sucking up. She's doing her thing. She wore something appropriate, which I think tells you that she knows exactly what she's doing when she wears so many mm -hmm. inappropriate things. And she knows where her bread is buttered. She's speaking to her real voters and she's speaking to her that's real right. donors. And that's, that's she's not running away from them. She's not hiding in the bathroom there. She knows what she's doing. And I think the thing is, is that we have to be so careful because the Senate you know, is it if if Kristen Sinema leaves and becomes a Republican right now, the way it is, Mitch McConnell would have the gavel, right? If we upset Joe Manchin too much and he leaves and goes and sits with the I Republicans, know. that's it. I we know. lose the gavel. This Mitch McConnell gets people. to decide what comes to the floor. You know, so people are like, just make him be a Republican. He'll just be a Republican. You're like, no, no. we don't want him to be a Republican. No, we do not want that. This is what but I keep what we saying. do want is actual an actual majority, an actual majority, two more seats, four more seats, you know, six more seats. Like that is a possibility for Democrats, especially with this slate of people that they are running for the Senate right now, the Herschel Walkers and the Blake mm -hmm. Masters. We could take a lot of these seats. And even if we had two votes that negated Manchin and Cinema's vote, all of a sudden we'd be in a position where we could uh, suspend or get rid of the filibuster. And if we yeah. do that, then all of a sudden, the Democrats could start passing legislation that people actually want. And exactly. we would start to see what it looks like if government works for the people, if things actually get accomplished. We would start to see what government looks like the way the 1-6 committee does, where you go, geez, this is a very efficient committee. Usually these people are screaming <laughs> at each other for five minutes at a time. And you go, no, this is what government's supposed to be like. It's supposed to be stayed. It's supposed to be organized. It's supposed to be responsible and if we can flip the senate enough that we can expand it el eliminate and or suspend the filibuster we could pass voting rights we could codify Roe. Right. we could codify gay rights we could do all these things and then suddenly people would start to say back to your point before they would start to look at republicans and say hey man what do you have to offer us because these guys are giving us a lot lee mcgowan is the host of the politics girl podcast you can follow her on the socials at i am politics girl such a pleasure longtime fan first time suck up please come back and see us again anytime I would love to. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Quick break. When we come back, Keith Price joins us. We take your calls all the way till midnight on the East, 9 p.m. on the Pacific, 866-997-4748. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
I'm John Fugel saying we are at 866-997-4748. People of Earth, whether you like it or not, would you please put one hand and one hand together to make as loud a sound as you can. If you're driving, go right ahead. Put down the phone and stop texting to applaud for a comedian, an actor, a broadcaster extraordinaire, the first openly gay black radio host at Sirius XM, the first openly gay and black. He wasn't the first openly black radio host. And he co-anchored the morning show on the late lamented breakthrough channel OutQ. Be sure to catch his wonderful Broadway podcast, Keith Price's Curtain Call. People of Earth, I give you Keith Price. <sighs> hello, 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 hello. Good to see you, you, sir. I'm great, thank you. How have you been? I'm, you know, busy trying to like stay alive and be in the mix. You know, <laughs> do a little yes. of this, a little of that. It's been good though. I've had a, a nice kind of interesting time. Um, just getting out and performing last week and the week before was kind of nice. You so had a show like, at the Duplex. I saw some video. How did it go? It was fun. It was really fun. Just getting up on stage and telling the story. Like, <laughs> it's just been yes. so cathartic. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like, you know, there's a lot of really horrible shit happening in the world. But at the same time, the things that you're enduring are just as horrible shit, big, big picture wise. And you just, it's nice to be able to just, and then this is what made me laugh about the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, so yeah. That's where I've been in the last couple of weeks. So it's been nice to to deal with that. And, you know, my side hustle with my ushering has been kind of fun. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's been so, a stressful yeah. time, Keith. It's been a stressful time for everyone. And, and, and I know that uh, for you as well. And we're looking at a time when they're trying to have a nationwide ban on abortion rights after gutting Roe v. Wade. When people are, we're still losing 400 Americans a day to COVID. This devastating hurricane is going to cause billions of dollars in Florida and destroy many, many homes. Many people are without power. Uh, Puerto Rico, 11 million folks lost all power last night. It gets wow. to a point sometimes, Keith, where it gets so scary. I just have to lie around the house and wait for Maggie Haberman to finally reveal evil shit Trump did years later after it could have made a difference. Um, that's my <laughs> new hobby. Um, when Maggie Haberman shows up and uh, you know her, her book is coming out. Um, spoiler alert, not to brag. Uh, it's called <laughs> Confidence Man, the making of Donald Trump and the breaking of America. And I just wanted to run a couple things by you and see how you rate them, because uh, a lot of it's really fun. Uh, one, he, he, he was often very vulgar about world leaders he called german prime minister angela merkel that bitch um <laughs> i'm sure she said the same thing about him i'm sure okay. well, no, actually, that's what putin calls him actually uh when ruth bader ginsburg was dying uh trump would sarcastically raise his hands to the sky in prayer and say please god please watch over her every life is precious then he would say how much longer do you think she has but of one of my more most favorite things is um I can't tell if it's the anti-trans stuff or the racist stuff that I like more. He was telling Maggie uh, in one of the interviews he gave her for the book, he sat down with her three times. And again, I believe Donald Trump has leaked to Maggie Haberman his entire presidency. But he was talking about his perspective of race is frozen in time going back to New York City in the 80s because he talks about how he dated uh, Carrie Young, who's a biracial uh, model in the 90s. And he said he met her parents, so he's so not racist. And he actually told Maggie that he told this woman, you know, he's like, I'm so not racist. I dated a half black model in the 90s because <laughs> I he admitted I couldn't commit to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of like he can cheat on two different women at the same time, don't you think? But he, he actually said, and this is in the book, that he told her that her looks her good looks came from her black mom and her brains came from the white side. So Ooh. that's 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 one thing. But I think. 
Uh, and then we found out that um, when he was first inaugurated, you know, he was having this reception with all these mm-hmm. people in Congress and there was hors d'oeuvres on the menu. And when he noticed that the Democratic staffers had a lot of um, African-American people on staff because they're Democrats, he thought that they were waiters. And he said, why don't they get the food? And he said this to Schumer and Pelosi staffers. But the best part was they were having a debate in 2016, him and Hillary Clinton and, and Reince Priebus. Remember Reince Priebus? Remember that? Yeah, Remember? That little Every tone. man over 50 should get his Reince Priebus checked. Reince Priebus was <laughs> debating with him. And he, he said, here, here, let's, let me ask you this same-sex bathroom question. And Priebus said, hey, look, I'm a female transgender student. Uh, can I still use the girl's bathroom? And without missing a beat, Trump said in front of everybody, cocked or decocked. <laughs> and the entire group helping him wow. in the debate was slack-jawed in horror. Wow. So I'm a big fan of hearing that Donald Trump is an uncouth, racist, bigoted idiot. But like, I'm sorry. This is just titillating. It's there for the clicks. If Maggie Haberman really cared, shouldn't this should have come out when it could have made a difference? Ah, wow. <laughs> wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. That is that is the so crassest much. thing I think I've ever heard in my entire life. Which and, one? Know, the I've... biracial model or the black staffers or the trans girl? I mean, like, holy shit. Talk about a comedy rule of threes, man. Did that just go <laughs> haywire? What? I mean. And the wife rule of threes, too. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Why are they not serving the food? I don't understand. There's a lot of black people just standing around. What's what? Seriously, what is that going made, on here? That made news all day today. <laughs> that made news all day. I just, it's, I just to me, it's sort of like. So, do you think he might still be a racist? <laughs> are we are we still having that debate? You know how we still are trying to figure yeah. out, you know how much he actually knows about this whole january 6th thing you know what i mean yeah. so like what are, what are the chances that he just happens to be that racist what what's the chance <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess my question mr price is would it make a difference to his base like is there no. anyone that voted for trump before ain't going nowhere baby there's no one who voted for him that would be turned off by this i mean no. for, for some this is probably Help it's accentuating their thought process. You know what God I mean? Damn, like, I, God damn, I think I like him more it. now. I think I like exactly. him more now. Yeah. Because he's right there with me with this. <laughs> oh, good times. It's, it's we... laughable because it's sad to think that there are actual human beings that are walking on the planet, you know, living in that that thought process. It's just I agree. it's maddening to me. But like you you have to laugh at the shock and awe of the world over it. And it's like, really? Are you are you you're are you surprised? You're surprised that this has come out of his mouth. <laughs> I mean that that cock decock thing, I you know Cocked that, or decocked. I just there's no reason to believe that's not completely true and i bet he still thinks it's hilarious i bet he still thinks it's hilarious just that just wow i'm just like yeah you know but then again you know it it goes ahead and proves what we already know about him so to me this is gratuitously this is more tittering for the the water cooler for those of us who would talk about this kind of shit again, because you know you and I are going to be kikiing about this shit for a, a hot minute. Because I'm, come on, why are all these black people standing around? <laughs> Aren't they the waiters? 
I'm just ready for there to be. Excuse me, sir. I have I just I have several degrees and I speak sixty five different languages. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> What's the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you? At Comedy Daddy on the Twitter and KeithPriceComic.com. So good to see you, sir. Thank you so much you for too, joining my us. Man. Thanks to Lee McGowan, politics girl. Uh, Chris, are you smitten? I'm smitten. She was great. Yeah, uh, great. Bob Seska, are you smitten? I love. She was great. Uh, tomorrow yes. night, Rabbi Dania Ruttenberg, Corey Brechneider. Friday night, Michael Cohen. <laughs> The guy who's been crashing on my couch ever since. Keep it to the Sirius XM progress. We will see you tomorrow here on the Love Fest. Peace. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.